how to ghostwrite an amazing book on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by ConvertKit. To find out how ConvertKit can help you grow your business, save money, and increase your relationship with your email list, head over to servenomaster.com backslash ConvertKit right now. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. Things are a little different today. I'm on the road again. I'm out of town with my wife working on a bunch of paperwork. Passports for her, marriage visa for me, and that means I'm in a different location. I'm actually in a hotel room right now recording. I also have a little bit of a cold because I've been going in and out of air conditioning and in and out of meetings and all these government offices for the last few days. So I have a little bit of runny nose. So sorry if there's a little difference in the background noise. Maybe it sounds better and it's actually a treat. Today we're gonna talk about some really exciting stuff with ghostwriting. I don't take a lot of ghostwriting projects, but lately a couple of really cool ones have come my way that I've chosen to accept. And as I'm working on them and putting them together, I thought it would be a great opportunity to share with you exactly how you can replicate my process for creating a great book. And there are really three key elements to a great book. There's the facts, the things that happened. When you're writing a biography for someone or the story of someone's life, you start with the facts. On top of that, you have the emotion, the emotional journey, how they felt about the story, how you feel about the story, and really how the audience will feel about the story. When you start to put those two things together, the final thing you have is the structure of events, the series of events you're going to tell. How are you going to organize your chapters? And we've seen some great movies in the past where stories are told out of order. And sometimes when you're writing a book, the best way to open that book is with something out of order. We start with the lead up to the final movement, then we jump back in time to the beginning of the story. Research as a process is absolutely critical. Finding things that the client didn't even know themselves can be amazing. One of the projects I'm working on right now is a historical book about someone's father. And so I dug really deep and I found some newspaper articles, very old newspaper articles that he hadn't even seen. I'm excited about those. I found him a new picture of his father. By being fastidious with your research, by digging really, really, really deep, you can start to find things that are amazing. You can find these wonderful moments. We're, I'm very fortunate that this particular person was famous enough to be in the newspaper all the time. If someone's writing something about me, they would struggle to find me in the newspaper. I've only been in a couple of small newspaper articles. Certainly never been in the cover of a section. But we want to begin to find those events as well as the things that happened around them. What's really great about beginning to find the story for someone, you can find the context. When were they born? What was happening in the world? What was happening in the world when they turned 18? There have been a great deal of wars in the last hundred years. There have been World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, the first war in the Middle East, the second war in the Middle East. All these are major events that can color someone's life. So we want to look beyond what's happening in the moment and look at the context of the things around them. Did they go to school with someone famous? Did they work with someone famous? Were they influenced by someone famous? We wanna go and find that narrative and that provides the context or the world in which the person lives. When you're writing a fiction book, you wanna create that world around them. One of the greatest fiction books of all time is called Dune. Anyone who's read that book falls in love with it. Written by Frank Herbert, he never finished the series 
His son took up the mantle and wrote the rest of the books in the series, and they're actually all amazing. It's a wonderful series, and the reason it's so powerful is because he creates such an in-depth world and universe. He creates religions and cults and political affiliations and science and the weather. All of those pieces are put together so well, you remember the world even better than you remember the story within the book. And when you're working on a project for a client, it happens in the real world, you wanna understand the world in which they dwell. If someone was born before the 1960s, that was before desegregation, they grew up in a world in America where black and white people were separated and that can be a very important part of person someone's story and we want to understand that part of the story and we need to tell that part of the story someone grew up behind the iron curtain their story is different one of my friends one of my great friends in life she was 13 when the Berlin Wall fell down her childhood is something that most people don't understand in the West she was never allowed to leave her neighborhood the thought of traveling one kilometer from the apartment in which she was born was unimaginable to her. She's used to walking down the street and expecting to have her papers checked over and over again. And if she walks too far, trying to go to the other side of the park, they'll stop her. And they'll say, this is too far. You're not allowed to leave where you're from. One of the main tenets of dictatorships and most communist states fall into dictatorships that you don't let the people leave. Everyone wants out. No one living inside of communism ever wants to stay. They always want to leave. That's why they always have strict border controls, letting nobody leave. They're more worried about letting people leave than letting people in. They don't have to worry about immigration problems because no one wants to go there. You never hear about the Soviet Union having to keep all the people out that were trying to flood there for their amazing bread lines. She grew up in that world. She grew up in a world where the number of people she knew was very little. She grew up in a world where you're not allowed to have your own place even if you get married, the only way you can move out of your parents' apartment is when you have your first child. So people would rush to get pregnant simply because it's the only way out. And that colors many of her decisions. If you don't understand someone's past, if you don't understand the environment in which they started and where they were forged, you can miss some key parts of the story. Now, when I talk about events in someone's life, I mean the particular things that person did. So we have the events of the world, the people around them, the setting the environment, and sometimes a great biography is filled with specific events that happened and influenced a person or that they were at a little bit, but we wanna move into the things the person did that were great or that were significant or that mattered to this person or that affected the rest of their decisions. And finding those pieces is very critical. And sometimes it comes from talking to the client, talking to the person you're ghostwriting with. And if you're telling the person's story, of course, you're gonna ask them a few key questions. With each project I work on, there's a different balance. Sometimes someone wants a really great educational book with just flickers of their personal story within it. And sometimes they want a more heavily biography-fueled story that's really much more about the story of them or the main character in the book than it is about a teaching lesson. They want one teachable principle. And so we want to find those events in someone's life that are interesting enough to engage you. I work very hard in each of my books to fill them with the most interesting stories, the things that will fit the lesson of that book, but also be very interesting. I finished the final edit for Control Your Fate a few hours ago before I went to sleep last night and I sent it off to the editor and I also sent it off to the guy who will hopefully be writing the foreword. I'm very excited about that. And as I was going through that book, I have all these stories that you haven't heard before. Almost all of them are totally new stories that happened to me, they're from my real life, but they're key lessons that match the message of the book. So we have to determine when creating our book whether the overarching message is more important or the journey is more important. In Control Your Fate, each chapter teaches a different small lesson, different technique for helping you take control 
of your life. So it has small stories that support that lesson. But for this ghostwriting project, for most ghostwriting projects, there's a single overarching message and we're much more engaged in the journey of the story. The third and final element is the emotion of the story. And this is so critical. This is where many people struggle. We want to have a singular emotional journey. In fiction, we often start off with a flaw. What's wrong with this person and how can they overcome it? Person who doesn't believe in themselves. Dumbo working through the journey and finding his feather so that at the end he can fly. And then finally realizing he doesn't even need the feather, he can fly without it because he has enough confidence. Dumbo is the story of an elephant with no confidence. It's tempting to start a biography or a story about someone making them sound perfect. But if they start off perfect, there's nowhere for them to go. Now, sometimes your book will start with that emotional hook. When you start telling that big story that's going to be end, that's okay. You can wait until chapter two to introduce the flaw or the person's weakness. And weakness is not bad. Weakness means there's room for growth. Right now, for my new book, I just, after all my research for this new ghostwriting project, I sent a bunch of questions to the client. I said, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? We're gonna find that starting point once we have the right pieces, and I'm very close to having all the pieces of the story. I'm just getting a little feedback, making sure he's happy with where I am on the track. We'll move into the next part of this, which is where I really choose, where does the story start? And it can be a story that starts with someone whose big flaw, big challenge is around them. It's not by them. It can be that they started behind the Iron Curtain were limited, and it's a story of overcoming that challenge because that's a big enough problem that it's interesting to watch someone rebel against it. And to make it a stronger story, it could be the story of someone who doesn't follow the rules or who's always close to getting in trouble for pushing the envelope when they grow up behind the Iron Curtain, when they grow up in a restrictive environment. We remember the stories that are emotional. We remember the stories that hit us in the heart, whether it's because of the passion of the person, it's a positive emotion or it's a negative emotion. One of the books I like to talk about the least is called A Bridge to Terabithia. They made a movie of it, I'll never watch it. I remember this book because no book has made me cry more. It's one of the most devastating books I've ever read. It has such an amazing story and such a painful movement in the end. Sorry for spoiling the book for you if you haven't read it. It's been out for years and years. I read it 30 years ago, but and the movie's been out for almost a decade. But I remember the emotion because it kicked me in the heart. And even now I'm tearing up a little bit. I don't know if you can hear it over the audio, but just thinking about what happens in that book devastates me. You can tell a very passionate and powerful story. Emotion is a key part of a lot of our modern storytelling. Most modern romantic comedies are heavy on the emotion. Most dramas are heavy on the emotion. This is why there are a great deal of movies out lately where characters have some devastating illness. There's so many movies lately where two people fall in love, one of them has cancer, or one of them has the germ disease where they can't leave the house. They're making another one of those person in the bubble movies. And I remember watching The Boy in the Bubble when I was a little kid. So I've already seen part of that story where someone is limited by that particular disease. But as with anything, an idea, <laughs> they always circle it back. And now they have a new idea in that setting. Just like they've made dozens of movies where someone's under house arrest and then realizes their neighbor is a murderer of some kind. How many of those movies have they made? At least 30 that I can think of off the top of my head. Repeating stories get away with it when they have a strong emotional journey. This is where people have the hardest time in nonfiction. In fact, this is where I struggle the most with each of my books. The first and final chapter have to have the beginning and end of the emotional journey. And I often split a story in half to put the beginning and the end so that you feel engaged enough to want to finish it. So when you're writing a book about someone else, when you're doing a ghostwriting project, those are the key elements. 
beginning that emotional journey, having in pieces that are interesting enough to people stay engaged. Characters don't have to be perfect. It can be tough when you're writing a book about someone in someone's family, you don't wanna make the person sound awful. What you wanna do is make them sound human. If we go too far and write a book, if I wrote a book about how my dad's a superhero, it's hard to make that engaging. If I just talk about how he's always been perfect, will always be perfect. Where's the interesting part of the story? I love British TV shows because there are real stakes. I watched today another of those big action comic book movies that they have. And I'm watching it the whole time and it was very hard for me to care because there's no stakes. Now they tried to generate stakes by killing a character, which is an old, old plot device. Every movie about a cop, their partner dies. How many times have we seen that in a movie? This is the one where the person's a warrior and the person training them dies and it's supposed to create the motivation. And it didn't work for me because I'm watching scene after scene where this character is fighting against drawings. When someone is fighting against a CGI creation, it's hard for you to care. You know the human's always gonna win. There's no real stakes. They tried to do it in that Ghost Squad movie, Suicide Squad. If you watched that movie, and I did, apologize for that. They introduced a character called Climber or Super Rope Man. I forget, the guy who can climb anything. They go, this is the guy who can climb anything. And then they kill him within 30 seconds. They go, see, anyone can die. And it's like, no one knows who that is. <laughs> you have a character with a name we never heard of. It doesn't demonstrate real stakes. And they're trying to create real emotion by creating real stakes. And it's one of the big problems in this type of movie. And it's probably why people are gonna burn out on them because you don't care. You always know who's gonna win and it's fun, but there's no emotional connection. One of the great biographies that I read is an 800 page biography of Patton. They made a movie out of it. And at the beginning, it talks about certain things about him that were great. And then it goes into all the things about him that were terrible. Patton was an unbelievable general and an unbelievably terrible politician. They made him, forget the exact name for it, like the vassal or the senator, like the boss of North Africa after we conquered North Africa at the beginning of World War II when he won his first campaign terrible mistake. He began to make huge political mistakes and very regrettable ones. He had no idea what he was doing in politics. They finally figured it out, sent him into Europe, and he basically conquered Europe very close to on his own. If you're English, you probably hate me for saying that, but man, <laughs> we'll talk about an unstoppable general. He was really great at one thing, but that's what makes the book feel so real. When they go, no, I'll show you what's wrong so that you believe more in what's right. And creating that balance is, of course, something that comes from more skill. But when you have a flaw, when you can demonstrate real stakes, that's when a book becomes powerful. In America, we have a problem with our cinema. We like in our television shows. We never want there to be the possibility that the main actor could get lost. Part of it is that we always look at the money and the way movies, televisions, or shows are made, but how much money can it make? And the main character is often the draw, the main actor is the draw for the finance. And that's one of the problems with the structure of American cinema because it means main characters can never die. And that means nothing feels real as much as it's exciting. And I love watching every season of 24. And I do recommend 24 as one of the best ways to learn about cliffhangers. You know going in that there's seven seasons of that show that even though he faces 24 times seven, different crises, he will never die. Even when you see scenes where he's killed, he comes back to life. Even though you see scenes where he's captured and shipped off to China to be tortured for years, you know he'll be back episode one of the next season. And that small piece hurts the stakes. Now, any other character on that show is fair game. 
that does make it good. That's one of the reasons that show is great, that even though the main character can't be touched, anyone else is fair game. And I'm not gonna tell you who loses it, but man, that is one of the great things about that show. So we have all these things where there's no stakes, where there's no emotional journey, where no one has any flaws, and we don't feel engaged with it. We don't remember them very well. We don't watch them over and over again. Comic book movies struggle with this part because they're thinking about, I want to make seven more movies of this character. They're thinking about all these other movies they want to make, and that's why those movies are becoming very similar. We're always either seeing this comic book character shoved into World War II or World War One, and they try to create this villain. We know how those movies and we know how those wars ended. I don't want to go too far down the path of talking about just movies and things, but I want you to get a feeling for the importance of stakes and emotional journey. That seeing someone who has a flaw, it lets people know you're honest. I used to read Rolling Stone magazine. I used to really like looking at their album reviews, and this is quite a while ago. This is before that magazine basically turned into garbage. But at one time, it was a very respected rock and roll magazine. And you can watch their fall from grace, because first it used to be larger than other magazines that it had to switch to being the same size. Now, I'm not even sure if they do a print edition. Now, if you read Rolling Stone, it's mostly political articles or them falling for hoaxes and writing about things that never happened, and then getting sued for millions of dollars for slander and libel. <laughs> Rolling Stone magazine now is known more for their inability to fact check than they are for their rock and rolls. But when I grew up, the covers of the magazines were seminal. They were amazing covers of amazing musicians. And I used to read the reviews. And then one day I read a review of an album that everyone knew was terrible. It was another Yoko Ono album. I don't know why anyone pretends that her music is good. I don't know anyone who's ever liked her music. If you go to Japan, everyone's a fan because they're all Japanese, but no one actually <laughs> likes her music. I've never been with someone who turned on a Yoko Ono CD. And this was like her 10th album after John Lennon died. So this was late 90s. And I opened Rolling Stone magazine and they gave it five stars or four stars. I saw this good review and I said, what? I'd heard the song and it was awful. Like awful, like painful, like listening to someone smash pots and pans with a hammer. It was very discordant and very painful to my ears. It wasn't just bad music, it was awful. And they wrote this glowing review and I realized that the person who wrote the review had no integrity. They wrote positive reviews for everything and an even stronger version of this, I used to read uh, some DJ magazines that would review new short songs coming out. And I looked one time and every single song they'd reviewed had five stars. And I said, I'll never read this magazine again. If you won't give a bad review, your good reviews mean nothing. The person who compliments everyone, their compliments have no meaning. If you won't ever give bad feedback, then your good feedback has no variance. It has no meaning. If it rained every single day, we'd always be sad. But if it was sunny every single day and we'd never seen rain, sun would have less of an impact. We need contrast to appreciate the value of things. When you can have an element of your story where you start off pointing out the flaws in someone or the challenges they were facing, when they finally overcome them, it has more meaning. That's what is critical. When you're telling your stories, find that journey. Be willing to push the envelope a little bit. Now, every part of this story or these books, when I'm working with a ghostwriting client, I say, is it okay for me to tell this part of the story? Or here's how I want to tell it. It's important to show and humanize you or the person we're writing about. That element creates a greater book, but we do wanna make sure that we respect the opinions and feelings of the person we're working for, of course. That's the balance and the challenge of ghostwriting. That's why I don't do a lot of ghostwriting projects unless 
the person I'm writing about is amazing. The ghostwriting project ain't working out right now. The main character is so good. The person I'm writing about is so amazing. The things he accomplished are unbelievable that I want to put my name on the book. I want to have it, you know, written by so-and-so and ghost written by Jonathan Green. I'm excited about the character that much that I would love for you to see this book on the listings of other books I've done. I'm okay with all of that. That's something for you to think about. We can get projects that we're so excited about that we see the greatness there. So as you're working on writing longer books, as you're working on becoming a better author, sometimes we need to take ghostwriting jobs to keep the war chest filled up. And that's absolutely fine. I actually love ghostwriting. I like doing it. I'm working on several new ghostwriting projects now because they're all really exciting and interesting and benefit my family. They're helping to rebuild the finances after we went through all those medical challenges last month. So it really helps to take a couple of fast cash projects. And the fact that I'm excited about them and think they're gonna come out really, really well creates that perfect balance. So when you're writing your books, whether it's a ghostwriting project or something else, remember you wanna find those key events, the world in which the person was born, in which they did their great things. Then you wanna choose the right events in their life to talk about. Not every book needs to be 800 pages like Patton. That's double the length of any of my books, double. That's a long book. And then find that emotional journey. Find that challenge they overcome. Show the story of someone starting somewhere and finishing somewhere. That's where you create an amazing book. And that's how you ghostwrite like an absolute champion. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back tomorrow with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you tomorrow. You've just listened to another amazing episode of the Serve No Master podcast. Make sure to subscribe and we'll be back tomorrow with another amazing episode.